Welcome to the Unsweetened Sayo podcast. My name is Siobhan Harris. I am a certified integrative nutrition health coach and the founder of unsweetenedsayo.com. I gave up all sugar and all flour on January 13th, 2018, and am finally free of my addiction. My mission is to help other sugar addicts find their path to freedom and live the sweet life without sugar. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 124 of Unsweetened Sayo, the podcast. Today, I have Mike Collins back. Mike believes sugar addiction is very real and not to be taken lightly. As a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorder for over 36 years, he took a very keen interest in what sugar was doing to him and his friends in early recovery. After much research and experimentation, he quit sugar with the help of amazing mentors. He then raised two children sugar-free from the womb to six years old, and as they grew, he rewrote the rules for sugar and kids in childhood. He takes very seriously his stewardship of sugaraddiction.com and the quitsugarsummit.com and aims to provide information and community for anyone wanting to curb or quit sugar. His book, The Last Resort Sugar Detox, has has been read by hundreds of thousands of people, and his online 30-day sugar freedom challenge has been successfully completed by thousands. So welcome back, Mike. So glad to have you back. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We were talking before I started recording here that Mike was on episode 27. This is now episode 124, so 100 episodes later. And (laughs) over two years ago, last time you were on was October 2019. But I want to invite listeners, if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and listen to it because Mike and that one really kind of dives more into his story and background. And also because I was so fascinated that he raised two children sugar-free from the womb to six years. We talked a lot about that um, in that episode. So that's an episode you definitely do not want to miss. So please listen if you haven't. But I'm so excited to have you back and kind of hear what you've been up to um, talking about the Quit Sugar Summit, which is always so amazing. So I can't wait to hear what you're doing in January. But maybe for people that might have missed the first episode, will you just give a little bit kind of of your background and story for us? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I grew up like I thought of a regular kid. And, and you know, I, I always tell the story of my mother being a sugar junkie and, you know, her mother dying when she was eight years old and making that deal with the, um, the cousin who lived across the street and owned the country store across the street. And anytime my mom walked into that store, she could have candy for free. And so <laughs> starting at eight years old, probably before, but starting at eight years old, she was uh, she really believed, I think to the day she died, that sugar was love. And we grew up that way. Like uh, I was thinking the other day, she taught me to eat strawberries by dipping them in sugar, like dropping them, like, so that the moist strawberry was covered with sugar. And, you know, we had unfettered access to the sugar bowl. Literally we could put as much sugar and no, she never even complained or said a word that we could put as much sugar as we wanted on our Cheerios or cornflakes and scrape up half an inch in the bottom with the milk at the end. Um, it was just, 
Uh, and that's how we grew up. And, you know, Candy, I mean, forget, I mean, she had a stash. We always knew where it was. And, 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 you know, she would make this gigantic bowl of chocolate chip oatmeal cookies every Saturday. And that's kind of how we bonded. Um, but fast forward, I mean, I, I ran into beer and alcohol at, at 14 or 15, 13 or 14 or 15. And I didn't know that that changed my, I knew that beer changed my state, but I didn't know as I was young and growing up that sugar was changing my state. And uh, I always tell the, there's a great YouTube video uh, with Ed Bradley of 60 Minutes of Eric Clapton saying this, that, you know, Ed says, it started with uh, heroin, right? This addiction thing. He goes, no, it started with sugar. And, you know, he owns a treatment center and everything. So, you know, this, the changing state, I think, is probably the most important theme of everything that I ever talk about in that people are not giving sugar the respect of a substance use disorder like like alcohol and drugs or the power of it being psychoactive and changing your state. But anyway, you know, fast forward, I had a regular life, a regular career. I did raise the kids sugar free. Um, uh, they always said I should write a book about sugar, which I finally eventually did that you mentioned there. And, uh, but I opened sugaraddiction.com uh, 2009. And here's some important information I think is that I was still was working my regular job. And uh, I, um, I gave out the best information that I could find of the day uh, then. And it wasn't until about four or five years ago when we started the summit and when uh, I started to coach and have online groups that I really figured out, um, like some people took the information between 09 and, you know, like seven, 16, 17, 18, um, but they didn't, you know, and this, some of them helped, but it wasn't until we got the groups together and the coaches together and the idea that just to quit something as simple as sugar requires coaching or groups was almost foreign to me in a lot of ways, but definitely to see the success successes now, I know now that that is really the secret sauce to people getting off sugar because of the things we did talk about before we got on, we'll talk about again, is this odd man out feeling of in this society, you're really truly and not, you know, you're, you're, you're thought of as very strange if you're a, a complete teetotaler from sugar, which makes me crazy because I, we all know now, and the science is exploding now about the uh, brain health and all of the other physical aspects of ingesting even small amounts of sugar. So, I mean, that's the short version. I, I mean, I, I, it usually brings up more questions than it answers, but... <laughs> You know, that's, well, how, you I, that's, how, that's how I came to be here. Yeah, no, I love that. It was perfect. And you do really dive in in our earlier episode. But I kind of want to talk about some of the things that you brought up and, and just saying that I love the changing state that your state actually changes. I think that is um, so critical for people to hear. And like you said, it sugar doesn't maybe get the same respect or that, you know, I think we were talking about this too before we recorded. It's like someone says, you know, oh, I quit smoking. Congratulations. That's amazing. <laughs> I gave up alcohol. Yeah, way to go. I quit sugar. What? Why would right. you do that to yourself? So Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. I just don't. And, and like, and then they actively fight you. They actively try and 
stop you from your stated goal. They, they don't, uh, first of all, I think what happens is people, it becomes a reflection and they're like, wow, if they're thinking this is something and they've looks like they've lost 20 or 30 pounds, maybe I need to do this, you know? And so then, then they actively get aggressive about being a pusher. I mean, they're like, oh, come on, I baked this for you. I bought this for you, blah, blah, blah. There's just no uh, ability to just be yourself or making a choice that is based in science. You know, it's based in research. It's based in, I mean, solid science, uh, really solid science. Yet we still remain the odd man out, odd woman out. We, we, we remain the outlier in this um, world of that's covered up with sugar. It was just basically an evolutionary wrong turn societally. And now part of the cure is, as I mentioned, the groups to get with some people who believe the way that you do, feel the way that you do about sugar and its potential for harm. Uh, because without it, you're, you're, you're just bound to repeat and, and fall back into what everyone in the, your, your family tribe or your friend tribe thinks, which is that sugar is fine, even to give to a one-year-old with no moral, legal, or ethical considerations. And today, in today's scientific world, that's just not true. It, it, it shouldn't be true. Anyway. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's so hard to be like, for me still, people have called me extreme, you right. know, like, why are you so extreme? And that, and I'm like, you know, but what we face as a society is so extreme though, right? right. You know, especially with trying, I have it, my kids are now six and eight and they do have some sugar, but um, it is really hard, especially with them, other people, it's, you know, very triggering, as you kind of mentioned, I think for other people, but especially when I'm trying to make different choices for my kids. And there's kind of this idea of, well, yeah, kids can run it off or, you know, um, even I, I use this example and my son was at the time just in preschool and a mom brought in like humongous cupcakes, like not the normal size, but you know, like those super gigantic ones. And these are like three and four year olds. It was like as big as my son's head. Wow. And, um, wow. I remember saying to her, you know, wow, like that's really a lot, you know, that's really big. And she's like, oh yeah. She's like, I would only eat, I only would eat one bite of that. And I'm like, but you're going to allow your kid who's like, you know, a quarter of your size or less, you know, to eat this whole, you think that's okay for them. So it's so interesting to me, especially with children that adults might be like, yeah, I'm not going to eat that for myself, but yeah, for this little growing human, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's still brain development, you know, all that. Yeah. Let's, let's just load them up with, with sugar. So it does make it very, very hard as you're saying, um, to make this choice to live this way for yourself, but then also for your children. And then just the, you really have to advocate daily for this choice, you know, or at least that's what I find. Everybody's fighting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mine was a long time ago, but, um, the Montessori school, my own parents, uh, their, all their grandparents, you know, want, thought that they were, we were literally depriving them of a childhood somehow. 
And, and I've been told depriving them of joy. Joy. Yeah. What a yeah, yeah. total crap, you know? I mean, I could go into a dad bragging thing about the, the mental development of my children, you know? And it's, but the, it, it, it's very real. Put it that way. You know what I mean? I'm just not that smart. Put it that way. You know, and neither was their mother. These guys are literally card carrying geniuses, you know, um, uh, perfect scores on their college entrance exam stuff. It's just, you know, what, I don't know what your belief system is, but in mine, you know, you don't jump one generation to that kind of brilliance. You know what I mean? And it was just the first thousand days that they didn't get sugar at least, you know, and you have such control in that time period. They're not buying food. They're not going to the grocery store. They're not out like at the, you know, that their kid, their friends would, you know, three to four years old. Why would you take the risk? If the research today says that, um, uh, that sugar is causing irreparable harm to the brain they're calling alzheimer's diabetes three because the the numbers skyrocket for your chances to get alzheimer's if you had diabetes two and it, it's just and we mentioned dr daniel amen who takes pictures of your brain on the standard american diet you literally have holes in your brain that need and then if you take the same pictures years later or yeah, years even a year later but years later after you've um, put away the sugar and and the even flour then the holes have healed the holes have gone your brain is coming back to normal and no one is giving any any credit credence credibility uh, in regular society it's just it's almost like an underground society of people who understand these thoughts and this this science right that the people have been languishing researchers have been languishing in anonymity for decades some of them studying fructose studying the brain studying uh, sugar's effects of the brain and it just isn't getting out to the public or it's not being accepted yet it's not it, it, and it truly is like an underground society of people who have done their own research, all you got to do is Google it. It's not rocket science. Just Google sugar in the brain, <clears throat> excuse me, and you'll see this. Uh, but yet the average society, average person in society still feels it's okay to A, ingest large amounts or um, that abstinence, as you mentioned, is such an extreme measure. And it's just crap because, I mean, even the dietitians and even the, sadly, really sadly, the eating disorder specialists who don't believe you're healed from binge eating disorder or bulimia if you can't moderate sugar. And the simple fact of the matter is, is this is a substance use disorder. And some people, when they ingest sugar, cannot moderate. They It sets up cravings for more and more and more and they cannot stop and abstinence has been their only solution and it's this segment of the society which i believe is much larger than people understand or believe um, that have wrestled with it for decades and quit every monday and quit every first of the year and quit every first of the month 
and still can't stop. And to me, that is the very definition of a substance use disorder. Yeah. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. Sorry, but that's no, true. <laughs> and you just like basically, yeah, that was def- you just like you know showed my life right there. Of I thought I had binge eating disorder, and I kept getting treatment for it, and the treatment for it was moderation, and I tried <laughs> moderation, and I felt like I was going insane. Not until I got abstinent was I able to get better. And you know what's amazing to me, and what I tell people all the time is abstinence is way easier, way, way easier. easier than way moderating easier. ever was for me. Right. It is so much easier just to say no completely than you know. Well, I'll just have one bite. You know all those little things you say to yourself. Oh, I'll just have one. One can't hurt. No, Mental like gymnastics. It. Yeah. Oh, so but let's talk more about the brain health piece of it because. Yeah, I think a lot of people are focused, and this is me too, you know, I don't believe in the scale, so I never weighed myself, but I had, you know, pretty significant weight loss, like I'm guessing like 80 pounds or so of weight loss. So that was my real motivation, right? You know, in the beginning was I wanted to lose weight. So that now that is just like a pleasant secondary kind of side effect of being sugar and flour free. You know, I don't even really think about it. But I am thinking a lot more as, you know, I'm in my 40s now and I think about, first of all, menopause and, and, and just kind of going through that more gracefully, but then also this brain health thing and aging, you know, yeah. it's just reading on Instagram this morning, something that Dr. Mark Hyman put about how aging doesn't have to be, you know, where we start breaking down and falling apart. I think you used the word decrepit. You know? yeah, yeah. I don't, I, yeah, you can, there's such a different way to go about it. Again, society has made that the normal when that's not normal. Same with menopause. It right. doesn't have to be this terrible experience. So now I'm on my soapbox, but let's talk more about like, yeah, the the brain health part of that, um, yeah. what you're kind of learning and working on right now yourself with that. Oh my God, this is like the my favorite rabbit hole right now. It's like, uh, you know, in doing the summits uh, over the years, you know, people like Julia Roberts or Julia, <laughs> her too, no, uh, Julia Ross and uh, other people who have studied the dopamine, serotonin and stuff, they would pop up and uh, it's for people that don't know, Julia Ross is like uh, someone who has gone through 5,000 people in inpatient treatment and used amino acids to help them uh, get better. She can literally see it right up in front, but it, it's too complicated. It's very complicated. You know, you got different cravings and stuff. And I kept saying, there's got to be an easier way. There's got to be an easier way. And I kept studying and kept studying. And I see the um, all of the literature now, a lot, not all, but a, a bunch of the literature now that's coming out in science journals and stuff really revolves around the brain and how much sugar is affecting the brain. And the dopamine is that's Robert Lustig's books and, and you know, uh, serotonin. And one of the most interesting, you said, you mentioned it is that people, that uh, 12 step saying you came for the vanity and you stayed for the sanity, right? That everybody that comes to me, uh, in our groups and, and courses and stuff is like they want to lose weight and or they want to uh, not go diabetic if they're pre-diabetic or put it in remission if they are and so they're all worried about the body but that said when they get somewhere like you have where years in and you've lost the weight what they 
tout as their number one favorite benefit is that their processing power came back, their memory came back, their ability to think clearly, to uh, act quickly on their feet, to respond quickly, to extemporaneously, I love that word, um, uh, speak and not have to, you know, you know, that comeback thing. You wish you had a quick comeback, but now you do have a quick comeback because your mind is operating faster. This is the benefit that they all list as number one when we do surveys, um, that, that their brain. And, and, you know, my experience is, uh, I don't know if, you, if I ever told you this part of my story, but I was 25 years or more, 25 years, no flour, no sugar, no caffeine. And I thought that I was... Uh, fine, you know, but I was eating uh, fruit, quite a bit of it, even dried fruit, oats, I was eating rice, I was eating grains, and I was drinking always organic orange juice, and, you know, twice a week or more, and I literally, I mean, there's other physical things, my gums were bleeding from since I was a kid, I had adult acne, a um, bunch of other stuff, and that stuff all went away. But the most important thing is I was nearing my 60th birthday and literally I was starting, both my parents died of Alzheimer's. I was petrified um, and I started to have these cognitive delays. Like I was, I'd be in a browser and I go to the next browser and I say, what am I doing here? Not, you know, like, unlike, you know, going into a room and like, what am I doing in this room kind of thing? But it was very noticeable. And I was just ingesting a lot of fructose, right? And the fructose was doing the damage. And, you know, here I am five or six years later, and that stuff is, all of it gone completely. The mental stuff returned. One of the most fascinating guests I've had, and he's coming again in January, Richard Johnson, who wrote a book on fructose, and he's now writing another book that's coming out in February. And he couldn't tell me on the last event, but... He has developed, and it's out there. You can just Google foraging and um, fructose. Uh, it'll come up. That he has discovered, and now he's got patents relating to alcoholism and stuff, that this fructose pathway um, creates a foraging behavior, meaning that you'll eat when you're not hungry. There's so many um, things that happen to your brain because think about it, just think about it. And I, and I implore your audience to do this thought process that a th let's just say a thousand years ago, it's not even that long ago, we only got fructose once a year, right? We got it in honey if you risked getting spun by a bee or fruit when it was ripe and in season, that's it. And then you extrapolate it down to reducing fructose to a powder, not unlike reducing coca leaves to cocaine or poppies to heroin. Now you have a powdered version, a much stronger, more powerful version of the fructose. Now, just so they know, half of the sugar table, table sugar molecule is fructose and half is glucose. And now you have a recipe that you are ingesting fructose that the body system that evolved for 7 million years can uh, to have fructose once a year so that they could ingest it. And it obviously caused a psychological change. 
I actually believe sugar causes a motivational syndrome. I think it causes obviously this, the mental stuff, but they were the animals and the humans were supposed to eat it when it was ripe so that we dispersed the seeds of the fruit and it was a symbiotic relationship. That's it, you know, and there was no other ingestation till next year at this time, right? In that area. And now we have fructose blasting our brain 21 teaspoons average you've got any habit at all if you're listening to this podcast you know probably 30 40 or 50 teaspoons of sugar fructose a day and just think of it just think of it logically and do the do the mental math on getting this much of a drug into your body in a powdered form and what the effect it is on your brain and so this is the stuff that's got me super excited not because the people that don't go abstinent can't get better quickly. It's that the reason why they cannot quit is because not because they want a sweet taste. That is not the reason. The reason is they want a dopamine hit. They want exactly what alcohol gives them, exactly what cocaine gives them, uh, exactly what drugs give them cannabis receptors in your body and the dopamine and serotonin um, manual manipulation. And after 20 or 30 years, you just don't have it. Your dopamine receptors technically are called downregulated. They are thinned out. You just do not have them. And as many receptors to make you feel good. And all you're doing when you ingest sugar today, once you pass adulthood and probably even in childhood, is you're just fighting to get back to even, just fighting to not feel lousy for not having the, the drug manually manipulating your dopamine receptor by, by ingesting a substance, right? And people worry and they, 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 they laugh and they, they put down drug addicts and alcoholics like they are some kind of second-class citizen, when in reality, they have just trained their brain not to go chase sex, not to go chase food, what these dopamine receptors and pathways were originally created for, but they have somehow co-opted that you can just sit on the couch, eat sugar, drink alcohol, or take a drug, and you get the same feeling, right? This is what you're searching for, is the feeling of everything is all right with the world, that, that the reason the animals stay around the bushes and they, you know, I think wine evolved, they said, you know what, if grapes are so good for us and we want to stay around the, till the stuff is gone, let's just start stomping on it and saving it. The evolutionary, people always say to me, Mike, are you a doctor? And I'm like, no, but if I were, I would be an, a doctor of anthropology to study how did we get into this mess? And we got into this mess by the slow evolution of sugar cane and this whole thing, right? And, and now uh, there's no one alive that knows what happened in the 16 and 1700s. But if you research and go into the literature, there were doctors who lived for 60 or 70 years and saw the evolution of what happened to the British when sugar and caffeine and <clears throat> started coming from the new world and that they were alarmed by the weight game, alarmed by the, the changes in personality and weight 
that were happening over their one tenure of 60 or 70 years in the 16 and 1700s. But today, no one is alive that has seen that change with the exception, if you do the research, of high fructose corn syrup coming into the diet in the 80s and the obesity rate, <clears throat> wow, I got to get some water, skyrocketing um, into that point, uh, you know, into where we are today, where we went from 14 or 15% obesity to over 33 or 4% obesity in just 30 or 40 years. Because and if you look at the numbers, the high fructose corn syrup runs parallel up and to the right on the graph as it came into this food system with the obesity numbers. Again, leading back to the fructose and the brain. Okay, that was so exciting that I, for you were the first person that ever asked me that question on a podcast. So I was able to articulate it all out, what I've been thinking about for the last 12 months. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is so fascinating. And I can't wait to hear um, Richard Johnson. I wrote down his name on the, you know, on the Quit Sugar Summit. And the Quit Sugar Summit, this I think it's going to be in January. You're going to tell us a little bit more about that later, yeah. but it is all about brain health. So it it's going to it be is. all about exploring these different areas that you're diving into right there. I mean, that's so much to unpack and really, and really think about. And I too wonder, yeah, like how did we get here? So I love the way that, yeah, you've really been taking some time to think about this and yeah, what the effects are on just the brain, you know, alone. And not just like the cognitive stuff that you've said, but also just the like mental well-being. You know, I've had different psychologists and stuff on the podcast that I love to hear that they use nutrition as part of their plan with working and have seen amazing results in things like bipolar, even schizophrenia, depression, anxiety disorders just by changing diet alone. So there's yeah. so many, you know, components here that we're really, really talking about. And like you even said, back, <laughs> way back when noticing not just the weight gain, but the change in the mental, in the, you know, mental stuff right away, like that, that was really, really evident quickly. So that all to me is so fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. It just fascinates me. And it just, it keep the rabbit hole keeps getting deeper that people are, you know, like I said before, languishing in anonymity, they've been studying it. It's just the public hasn't seen it. Yeah. And even in the, in the last five years, the, uh, the research has exploded because it's become such a hot topic, if you will. And I, think I do like that. I feel like everything's exploding right now, as far as feeling optimistic and hopeful for some change. It does feel like, cause again, I started about, you know, four years ago and even just in the last four years, how much of a more information's out there. And I just, I think <laughs> I always joke, it's like a good time to be a sugar addict because there's just so many more resources and information, help groups, like you're saying, coach, coaches available to really help people get the right information. Because I think for a lot of us, like me trying to get help, I was re like directed into the wrong kind of treatment. So for me, it's a, it gives me a little bit more hope that we are talking about this stuff now. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's like, and that's really what it's about. I always use the analogy of the, uh, you know, how do the drug and alcohol, the kind of sad part of the drug and alcohol world is that during the 
pandemic, the opioid crisis raged forward and we you know, lost more people. But the people who have studied this, who are K Street, Washington DC, million, multi-million dollar uh, nonprofits say that, you know, their basic plan of attack is that have people who have recovered tell their story, congressmen, um, uh, you know, CEOs, movie stars, anybody that has a high profile to not be anonymous in the drug and alcohol world to tell people that they have recovered. And, you know, podcasts like this and the work we do in the summit and stuff is to have, to tell the story of people who have made a change and then the positive benefits health-wise, brain-wise, weight-wise, uh, diabetes remission-wise, all these, you know, Verda Health has a two billion, that's with a B, billion dollar valuation, um, putting diabetes two in remission with just diet. And it's like this kind of growth in the industry, the growth in the acceptance that this is, um, kill this phone here, uh, that, you know, it's just, uh, it's exciting, as you said, to be in the, I don't want to say industry, but be in the world of helping people make this, un make this understanding more widespread and people, you know, that they would acknowledge that this is, is very real. And that's the sad part that 95% of people have no clue, are not interested. And they, you know, they continue to harm. I, I don't, you know, I, I've always been, I'll be honest with you. So I've been afraid of the industry, you know, they, they, they could ruin your lives. They, they, they're billion dollar guys, you know, they're, they, if they wanted to take aim at your life and your life's, you know, they could, they could ruin it. And I've always been nervous to say things like I was about to say, which is, you know, um, this idea that um, 50 years from now, they're going to say, you know, they used to give sugar to kids, right? That, that it was okay to give ch children sugar. I agree with Robert Lustig that even today, if you're, if you're, as the kids say, woke, or if the, as the, you know, if you're paying attention, that you should accept the idea that there should be a time period. And for the first time ever, the American, um, the, the, about the only change in the food pyramid when it came out was that sh children should not eat, drink sugar sweetened beverages or eat sugar, added sugar products, you know, before three or four years old, which, you know, no, it just kind of was a, 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 a byline or, a, you know, like a, it was added, no one paid any attention to it, but it was there uh, because there are a few people who understand this. And so it's this societal change that we've kind of been talking about that is the exciting part to me to see that people are catching on. But for the most part, we got a lot of work to do and there's a long ways to go. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's exciting. It, 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 at the same time, it distressing that we can't reach more people. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that, but that's why I'm so grateful for things like the quit sugar summit, which seems to be growing, you know, every year for you yeah. talk to us more, um, about your next one and, and some more details there, how people can get signed up and all of that. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a quitsugarsummit.com. You just leave your email. We'll notify you when it starts. It's uh, January 24th. I'm pretty sure this is being recorded 
late 2021 is the uh, the 22 uh, 2022 um, version and we just have you know between 30 and 50 amazing speakers that we dig out of the wood the the college woodwork and and uh, that have been studying this stuff and new people are popping up all the time and people we've been trying to get forever um, and they keep coming on we've had We've had Judy Collins, the famous singer, and Gary Tubbs, and Robert Lustig, and Dr. Johnson, and you know Tim Noakes, and Gary. We've had every, all of the major guys, and then we're still looking for more of that. And I think, like the people in the drug and alcohol world, we're looking for some of the stars. I'm really excited about what Rebel Wilson has done for the broad consciousness, where she literally had to check herself in in Switzerland because she couldn't quit sugar on her own. And now 60 or 70 pounds later, she looks like a different person. Um, and I'm sure her career will skyrocket because of it. Um, and then when uh, A-Ra, when they were still together before they, she started going out with Ben Affleck and, and J-Lo quit uh, years ago, a couple of years ago, they quit sugar and flour for 10 days, it blew up the internet. And so we combine, or we're trying to combine, uh, people who are, are, are more famous, can bring more awareness to it with the science. It's a cool combination. It really is. It's a cool combination of the science and people that are very adamant. There's an uh, author in England called Jamie Oliver. He's a cookbook and a, a chef guy. And there's a lot of famous people who are on this bandwagon and we're, we're, we're all trying to, you know, work together. And so every year we bring this out and, uh, and we try and do it in January so, uh, so that, you know, cause everybody's doing their new year's resolution. So it's a fun event and people are blown away by it and it's totally free. It doesn't cost anything. So you just jump on, give us your email and we'll tell you when it starts. Yep. Oh, I love it so much. I forget how I stumbled on it, but I was so grateful. And like, I think that's the first time I ever heard Bitten Johnson talk. And it was like, for me, I'd already been doing this on my own, which I know is rare, but then suddenly I'm listening to these people and I'm like, yes, like, I mean, you're speaking my language. Finally. Like I felt, um, cause I, like we talked about so important to have that connection and, and people that just kind of get it. And so, yeah, I'm so excited. And I think like you're taking the right approach of trying to make it more mainstream by having maybe people that can, yeah, draw a bigger audience or bigger, you know, like having the kind of more of the celebrities about it. I love that the JLo A-Rod thing is so true. It did like blow it up you know, right away when they went sugar and flour free. So um, is there anything else that you wanted to kind of talk about today that we didn't get to, or maybe any just last words of, of wisdom kind of for our listeners today? Uh, yeah, I mean, a shameless plug, you know, sugaraddiction.com. If you want to take the 30 day challenge, you're, you're more than welcome. Uh, we're trying to have the biggest, we're, we're going to go for a, a world record. Uh, we're going to actually apply. Um, and, uh, you know, for a Guinness World Book of Records, uh, the largest detox January, sugar-free January. We're trying to make sugar-free January a thing, um, like sober September or whatever, you know, we're, we're trying to like carve some real estate of awareness out, you know what I mean? And uh, including having the summit and, you know, a big event. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the things I always like to leave with people 
people with is that if you've heard a summit or a summit or a podcast like Sios, and you want to um, uh, do something about it, you really need to join this a group of people who is doing it with you, whether it's Sios group it groups or mine, or the, there's now a bunch of them out there, because it really. I can't explain it, but this is a peer reviewed thing that even if you have cancer, if you're a cancer survivor, the odds of you doing better are much, much higher if you in a, are in a peer support group. And if you've struggled with this and you've had trouble with this, joining a group of any kind online or in person will help you. And what I find is I look back over the testimonials and the success stories is strangely enough, we are what the tech people call early adopters. We are willing to, you are the first person that went to college in your, in your family. You're the first uh, major great athlete. You're the first um, person who moved away from home, uh, started their own business, uh, whatever. You are an early adopter. You're willing to do the research for your own self, think for yourself, and then move forward with what you find. And, you know, sometimes that includes joining another tribe, not leaving your family or your friends necessarily, but joining another tribe. And this is a tribe of people who are moving in the same direction, mostly for 90%, 95% for their health, the health of their loved ones and their children. So, Join us. The water's nice. Jump in. If you're listening to Sio for 124 episodes, then you know you are. We're, I'm preaching to the choir. But if you're listening to some this brand new, um, please consider some of the stuff we've talked about, and you know do your own research and make your own decisions. But as they say at the Nike Corporation, just do it. Look, I always call it a scratch test, Sio. I like. You know, you go to the allergist and they're going to scratch you for wagweed and pollen and dust and all this other stuff, right? And they'll tell you if you have an allergy. Well, here's our scratch test. Give me 90 days. Abstinent. I mean abstinent. No sugar, no flour. And we talk about caffeine too, but people sometimes succeed by still drinking black coffee. But no flour, no sugar, 90 days. If it, your entire life doesn't change and you are true to it, we will refund your misery, your weight, your brain lapses. We'll all give it all back to you. And all you got to do is go to the 7-Eleven. If that doesn't, you know, if you can't do 90, you know, if I told you not to eat steak for 90 days, you would do it because, well, it's not that hard. Well, let's try 90, no sugar, no flour. Okay. All right. That Again, another soapbox run, but this has been a pleasure and these guys are bugging the crap out of me on the freaking thing for the next meeting. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. It was so great having you today. We're so happy. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember life is so much sweeter without sugar. Thank you.